morning, friends. Welcome to The Well. My name is Ryan Gear. I'm the pastor here. If you're new with us, you're our guest, and we're glad you're here. If you'd like to let us know you're here, just text the word WELCOME to 480-530-7234. It'll text you back with a digital connect card. Just fill that out and tell us about yourself, and you'll get more information about The Well. Thanks for being with us this morning. I don't know about you, but I am exhausted. <laughs> I am so tired. I was thinking this morning, how in the world am I going to get through this service? And I'm sure you feel the same way, and I hope you're getting rest after this uh, roller coaster of a week and um, getting a chance to recharge. Um, this has been an exhausting week. And when you're pressing refresh every couple of minutes to see the results, I mean, you're bound to, to get tired. Um, but it's been a roller coaster. And I do, I suppose my math skills have improved as I've you know, looked at here, here how many votes there are, here how many more are needed to get to this place. So I've probably brushed up on my math skills, but this has been an exhausting week. And it's, it's appropriate that we're talking about uh, this topic today. We're, we're starting a brand new sermon series entitled 2020 Clarity. And we're looking back over this year and we're asking, how has 2020 clarified your view of your life? Is that true for you? As you look back over this year and COVID-19 and, and everything that we've been through, has 2020 helped you to see with greater clarity your priorities, the way you view uh, your loved ones, the way you use your time, the way you view your career, your purpose, uh, the way you view your spirituality, your religious beliefs or how you view religion, or even America itself, the way you view our country? Has 2020 brought into greater clarity for you how you view your life? That's what we're reflecting on in this series. And today we're talking about how 2020 has helped us to clarify our view of America. And so this week we find ourselves processing not only this past week, but maybe the past several years. Everything we've been through, everything we've felt, the conversations we've had, our fears, anxieties, maybe even uh, strained relationships over political disagreements and, and, and just kind of being shocked by uh, you know, what we've seen in, in our culture. And, and as we look toward the future now, we don't know what the next few weeks hold. We don't know what the next few months will hold. And so this is a time for reflection and processing what we've been through together. Now, we need to start by saying we love this country. It's our home. And we love it so much that we're committed to continually improving it. That's even written into the preamble of our Constitution to form a more perfect union. We just want to, to make America the best it can possibly be. There are some folks who believe that if you love America, you should never criticize it. You should never ask questions. Uh, and, but so many others realize that when you really love something, then you want to make it better. You want to make it all it can be. And so I asked this question on my Facebook page this week, how has 2020 helped you to see America more clearly? And there were so many thoughtful, even inspiring responses that I wanted to share some of your responses with everybody so, so we all could hear what so many of you had to say this past week about how you see America more clearly. Uh, somebody said, we need to value essential workers more. What do you think about that? Uh, somebody else uh, said, we're more polarized as a country than I realized. Uh, somebody else said, we need to rethink health care and how we care for the elderly. I'm sure especially with COVID-19, but in general. 
Um, somebody else said we need to make sure schools have the supplies they need. Amen to that. Somebody else commented, I'm disengaging from social media more. Somebody else said, we have an anxiety problem and we need to remember that disagreement doesn't mean you have to hate other people. Remember the golden rule. Uh, somebody else uh, said how much we rely on public schools. Another person commented how the brunt of childcare still falls on women. And it's delusional to think we have equal opportunity or choices. Somebody else mentioned selfishness and self-centeredness and pushback against wearing a mask uh, during COVID-19. Uh, somebody else said we're becoming more and more tribal, uh, unwilling to give others the time to listen and be understood that we would want for ourselves. Somebody else said they've seen a great deal of religious magical thinking and they gave an example so that nothing Trump says or tweets make a dif makes a difference. Um, they just say God will work it all out in the end. And people who are not swayed by rational thinking. Somebody else said education reform is desperately needed. Uh, somebody commented it has reinforced our, cho our choice to live child free. Somebody else said racism is more prevalent than I ever realized. Just a couple more um, Somebody commented, uh, the reporting of votes in this election has seemed like a game show or a sports contest. Somebody else said, we are a deeply divided nation. There's a great deal of anger in our country. We are increasingly alienated from and distrustful of those on the other side of the political divide. The divisions are linked to our preferred news source, but is that a causal relationship or an indicator of another source of our differences? A uh, couple more. Somebody else uh, quoting Richard Rohr said, I believe that fear is almost always behind hate. Sometimes it looks like control, but even control freaks are usually afraid of losing something. And then one more. Someone commented, looking at the red-blue map, it becomes obvious that the real divide in our country is rural versus city. It is no longer east versus west or north versus south. Uh, and that fundamentally boils down to a mindset in education. There's a level of tolerance that comes from rubbing elbows with people unlike yourself and your family. I just thought those comments were insightful and I wanted to share them uh, with everybody. Thank you uh, to those of you who, who commented. And so the question that I have heard more than any other this week from people in their most honest moments is how in the world was this election so close? <laughs> Have you been asking that question? How in the world was this such a close election? I mean, it, it took several days to count the votes. Of course, that was connected to mail-in ballots because of COVID-19, but it did go down to the wire and there's a, a margin in the popular vote, but it's, it's, it's closer than what many people thought it would be. The truth is lots of Democrats thought there would be a blue wave. Lots of Republicans thought there would be a red wave. We assumed that more people would see the world and vote like we do. We thought there would be this, this come to Jesus meeting, so to speak, and that we would all agree. And of course, that means that everybody would agree with us. And it turned out that we are still a divided nation. And we're trying to process that together. And so we're asking, how, how could it be that there are so many people who see the world so differently and, and who vote so much differently than we do? And then there's a more personal form of that question. How can I relate to people who see the world and vote so much differently 
than I do. You've probably had conversations over the past few years that have shocked you, that have disappointed you, that have hurt you. And you heard somebody say things that you didn't know they believed. And, and it was disappointing. And, and maybe you've reached the point in some relationships where you just had that final conversation and you were just like, you know what, I'm done. I just can't do it anymore. And maybe, uh, maybe even this week, uh, it struck you all over again, you know, how divided we are. And, and you just think, how could I relate with people who see the world and who vote so much differently than I do? And so as we start this series, 2020 Clarity, I just want to share three things from the teaching of Jesus, from the Sermon on the Mount, actually, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, that I think help those of us who want to follow Jesus Christ work through that question. And and of course, it's a process. We're going to be in this for quite a while, probably. And so how how can uh, these uh, three things from the teaching of Jesus Help me to relate to people who see the world so much differently than I do and who vote so much differently than I do. And we need to start by saying that we are in desperate need of reconciliation and unity in this country. We need all the bridge building we can possibly muster. We need to be willing to listen as much as possible, to understand as much as possible, to reach across the aisle as much as possible and cooperate and work together and find any common ground we can to start from, to negotiate and, and build a better future together and, and heal this divide. We desperately need that, especially as we see outbursts of violence. And, and we have walked up to the edge here as a country. And we know that we, we don't want to take that next step. It's time to do whatever we can to work together and try to make a better future. And at the same time, we also have to acknowledge the truth. We have to be honest about our experience. So for example, if you are a couple and uh, you're the same sex, you know that there are people in this country who vote to make your marriage illegal. That's their hope. They want to make your marriage illegal. And when somebody wants to break up your marriage, it's hard to look at that person as a friend. We don't want to view anyone as an enemy. We don't want to view, certainly, other Americans as enemies. And yet, when somebody wants to vote in a way that would hurt you and diminish you, it's hard to view that person as a friend. Those of us who care about anybody in this country who is a minority population, whose rights are at risk, we love them. And when we see people voting to take those rights away from them, it it's hard to look at that person as a friend. If you're black and you have a teenage son, you're scared to death that you're going to get that phone call or you're going to see on the news that your unarmed son has been shot to death. You live with that fear every day. And when you know that there are people who diminish that, who even make fun of that, who vote in such a way to almost poke and prod at you, it's hard to view that person as a friend. If you struggle financially and you work hard and, and, and you just still find it's hard to make ends meet, it's hard to get ahead, and then you hear somebody say, with, with everything we've seen, all the rhetoric and, and the racial tension, and, and they say, well, I'm just going to vote to keep my taxes low. 
it's hard to view that person as a friend. Or if you're just like most of us and, and you have been feeling anxiety and f- fear about what's happening in our country and you've been trying to make sense of it and trying to remind yourself that you're not crazy with all the gaslighting that's been going on and you've had broken relationships or strained relationships with people you care about because of all the division in this country and then you see people who want to perpetuate that, it's hard to view those folks as friends. We don't want to view anybody as enemies and certainly we don't want to view other Americans as enemies. And we have to acknowledge the reality of where we are and how far we have to go, that it can be hard to view some of those folks as friends. And there are, of course, people who try to sweep that under the rug, and maybe they just repeat platitudes, and and they just kind of try to smooth it over, and they make statements that make it sound so easy, and like the can't-we-all-just-get-along kind of tone, and, and we all desperate, we know that we desperately need that. We need unity. And at the same time, we have to really ask this question, how can I relate to people who see the world and vote so much differently than I do? So Jesus says three things in the Sermon on the Mount that I think are helpful to us when we ask this question. And I'm going to tell you all three things, and then we're going to quickly unpack them. So first of all, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Now, being a peacemaker may not mean what you think it means. So we'll see here in just a few seconds. Jesus says, love your enemies, and we don't want to view other Americans as our enemies, but it can be hard to look at folks as friends sometimes, so Jesus says, love your enemies. And then finally, Jesus says, don't cast your pearls to swine. (laughs) Jesus says all three of those things in the Sermon on the Mount. So uh, let's just dive in. So blessed are the peacemakers. In Matthew 5, uh, verse 9, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And this verse has been misused by people who do want to sweep things under the rug. And by making peace, they mean just pretending nothing's wrong and just, and just, you know, trying to smooth things over and it's conflict avoidance. Uh, They live in denial and they, maybe they walk on eggshells even to, to keep other people from, you know, being in conflict with them. And they just want to pretend like everything's okay. That's not what it means to be a peacemaker. Whenever you read the word peace in the Bible, uh, read into it the concept of shalom, because that's what it means. It's the Hebrew concept, concept of shalom. So peace is not the absence of conflict or just pretending that everything is okay. Shalom means wholeness, wellness, well-being. And it means wholeness and well-being for everybody. That as we go throughout life, wherever we find ourselves, we want to work for the wholeness and well-being of everybody, including our entire country. And so, of course, that means, yes, we do want to help to make America whole. We want to listen. We want to be open. We want to reach across the aisle. We want to cooperate. We want to build a bridge and seek reconciliation and unity wherever possible. Certainly, shalom means that. And it also means looking out for those who are not experiencing wholeness and wellness and sticking up for them and speaking up for them and entering into their experience and and lending a helping hand and doing what we can in order to be a peacemaker, a shalom maker in their lives. And so Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called children of God. And then Jesus says, 
to love your enemies. In Matthew 5, verses 43 through 45, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So Jesus doesn't sweep it under the rug. Jesus doesn't speak in platitudes. Again, we don't want to view other Americans as our enemies, but it can be hard to look at people who are attacking you or diminishing you or devaluing you or even trying to take away your rights and and threaten your safety. It can be hard to look at those folks as friends. So Jesus says, love your enemies. If it's tempting to view other people as your enemies, Jesus says, love your enemies. Now, when we first read that, we think that just sounds impossible. How could anybody ever do that? But then think about it this way. When you are hurt by someone and you decide that the only appropriate response is for you to hate that person, and hurt them back and seek vengeance, you know that's no way to live. That's not how you want to live your life. The only thing harder than loving your enemies is hating your enemies. It just eats you up inside. A person has said it's like drinking poison waiting for the other person to die. It's just not worth it. You don't want to live like that, consumed with with hatred and rage and anxiety and bitterness. That's too heavy of a burden to bear. Somebody else said, when, when they go low, we go high. That's loving your enemies. That's praying for people who persecute you. And that way you're not brought down to their level. Martin Luther King uh, wrote uh, a book called Strength to Love. And in, I mean, just the title alone is great. Uh, choosing to love someone is a powerful act. Loving somebody especially those who are trying to hurt you, is a show of strength. And in the book, he writes that, that loving somebody who is hurting you is the most powerful thing you could ever do. And the truth is that if somebody is attacking you and they hate you or they're diminishing you or they're, they're voting to take away your rights, and loving that person in return actually puts you in the place of power. If you choose to love people, they have no power over you. And so actually loving somebody takes strength. We can have the strength to love. So Jesus says, even though we don't want to view people as our enemies, if it's hard to view them as your friends, we can love our enemies. And then finally, Jesus says, don't cast your pearls to swine. (laughs) So Jesus says, be a peacemaker, a shalom maker. Love your enemies. Pray for people who hurt you. And at the same time, We want to live wisely. And Jesus says, don't cast your pearls to swine. So what does that mean? First of all, if you woke up asking yourself the question, what animal should I toss pearls to? Well, don't toss them to pigs. Now, you know, don't cast your pearls to swine. It's a mysterious teaching. There are lots of interpretations, but one face value interpretation is don't share what is valuable to you with someone who does not appreciate it. All they'll do is trample it and then turn and hurt you. 
Let's read it. Jesus says in Matthew 7, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. In the ancient Middle East, they weren't dog lovers the way that we are. They saw dogs as dangerous, and Jewish people saw pigs as unclean. Um, uh, The Jews of Jesus' time actually referred to the Romans who were occupying their land as pigs. And so throwing your pearls to swine is sharing a part of yourself, something, your emotional energy, sharing your views, sharing your time with people who don't appreciate you or what you have to say or what you have to give. And in fact, not only do they not appreciate it, they trample on it and then they personally attack you. Have you had conversations like that over the past few years? Have you had those experiences? Now, of course... Just disagreeing with us doesn't make somebody a pig. We, we don't want to be uh, the kind of people who are, who, who are closed and, and refuse to listen to other people and, and, and learn and be open in life. We don't want to live that way. And so disagreeing with us does not make somebody a pig. But you probably have had experiences like this with people that you trusted and, and you were shocked by their response. And it's like they took something of value and they trampled on it. And then they hurt you. And Jesus says, we want to be peacemakers. We want to love our enemies. And we don't want to cast our pearls to swine. Maybe that's some kind of help. As we're asking this question, how do we relate to people who are so different than us and who vote so differently uh, than we do? Some people... You love from a distance. Maybe that's helpful. We're not violent. We don't attack them. We're not closed off. We need to talk more. We need to reach across the aisle more. We need to build more bridges. And at the same time, we can recognize when that other person is not interested in doing that. And we can set appropriate boundaries and just decide, you know, I'm not going to cast my pearls to swine. So I have a trivia question for you. And this trivia question pertains to uh, late 70s, early 80s sitcoms. So if you feel like you have some expertise in that area, get ready to type. Okay, I'm going to give you a clue about a late 70s, early 80s sitcom. And if you know the name of that sitcom, I'm going to ask you to type that in the comments as fast as you can. Okay, we'll see who, who gets it first. So a late 70s, early 80s sitcom. The clue I'm going to give you is I'm going to quote from the the theme of the show. And if you know what show I'm referring to, what sitcom I'm referring to, get ready to type that in the comments. All right, are you ready? Okay, here's how the the intro theme to this sitcom goes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, Schlemiel, Schlemazel, Hassan Pfeffer Incorporated. What sitcom am I referring to? If you know it, type it into the comments. What sitcom is that from? One of the stars had an L on her shirt. She went on to be a successful Hollywood director, actually. The uh, male supporting actors were, uh, or characters were Lenny and Squiggy. It was set in Milwaukee. Uh, They worked at a brewery. Do you know what show I'm talking about? It's uh, Laverne and Shirley. You remember the... the, uh, the the scene in the opening when she puts her glove on the bottle and it goes down the line and and uh, and we'll do it our way just our way have fun getting that song out of your head for the rest of the day 
So Laverne and Shirley. So, I mean, that, what does that mean? That opening line, Schlemiel Schlemazel, Haas and Pfeffer Incorporated. Being who I am, I Googled it because that's part of my nerdiness. And it turns out that uh, Haas and Pfeffer is a German stew. It's a kind of soup. And the producer said that they included this line in the theme because they just thought it sounded funny. And maybe it was like a hopscotch, you know, saying, you know, from when they were children. And, and so Haas and Pfeffer is a soup. Uh, but do you know what Schlemiel and Schlemazel mean? It turns out they're Yiddish words. So they're from uh, the, an Eastern European Jewish language, Yiddish. And uh, these words are part of Jewish humor. There are Schlemiel and Schlemazel jokes. And lots of sitcoms and movies actually use the concept of the Schlemiel and the Schlemazel um, uh, in, in their stories. And so what does a Schlemiel mean? Well, a Schlemiel is a fool. It's somebody who's just, you know, not the brightest, adult. Schlemiel is a fool. And there are two types of Schlemiels. There's an endearing type of Schlemiel. So if they're a klutz and they're just kind of awkward and kind of clueless, but they're, they're harmless, then that Schlemiel it can be endearing. So, for example, George Costanza on Seinfeld is a Schlemiel. But he, he's harmless, right? He's just a, he's a sweet guy, but he just gets himself into all kinds of messes. That's the endearing kind of shlemiel. But there's another kind of shlemiel, another kind of fool, who is very dangerous. Uh, tyrants throughout history have been referred to as shlemiels. And ancient Jewish wisdom literature has something to say about shlemiels or fools. For example, Proverbs 12:15 in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, says the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. So Proverbs would define a shlemiel or a fool as somebody who is closed. They don't want to hear other perspectives. They're not willing to work with other people. They, they hear something they don't like and they just immediately make fun of it and attack it. And if you share something valuable with them, they'll attack you. That's, that's the dangerous kind of shlemiel, a fool. And how does Proverbs say that we should relate to a shlemiel, a fool, the dangerous kind? Proverbs 14.7 says, Stay away from a fool, for you will not find knowledge on their lips. Sign says, stay away fools, because love rules at the love shack. So how do we relate the, to the dangerous kind of shlemiel, the fool who is closed, who doesn't want to consider any new ideas, who isn't open to anybody else's perspective, who doesn't want to reach across the aisle, who just wants to accuse and engage in conspiracy theories, and, and so division and discord, and if we share something with, this, with them, they just make fun of us and attack us? How should, how should we relate to that kind of shlemiel? Well, the Bible says you stay away from them. That's the kind of shlemiel Jesus is talking about when he says, don't cast your pearls to swine. We are committed to being peacemakers, shalom makers. We want to work for wholeness and well-being wherever we are. And that, that requires openness and listening and compassion and seeing another person's perspective as much as possible and reaching the, across the aisle and working together. We want to love even people who 
act like they're our enemies and pray for people who hurt us. And at the same time, we don't want to be hurt by a shlemiel, a fool who was closed and they won't reciprocate our openness, our thoughtfulness. They'll just turn and hurt you. And so what about the other word shlemazel? Well, the two go together and the way it works is the shlemiel is the fool and the shlemazel is the person who hangs out with the fool and gets hurt by them. And so like another funny way in, in Jewish humor of describing that would be like if, if you're going out to dinner with somebody and that person's a shlemiel, they spill soup. And whoever they spill the soup on is the shlemazel. The shlemazel is the victim of the shlemiel. So perhaps Jesus might say it like this. Be a shalom maker and love even people who seem like your enemies. But don't be a shlamazel. Stay away from fools. That's, that's hard, isn't it? That's a hard tension to maintain, especially after all the division that we have seen in this country. We desperately need reconciliation and unity in this country. Somebody sent me a meme a few days ago, make America kind again. We desperately need that. We need peacemakers, shalom makers who seek wholeness and work for wholeness for everybody and people who are willing to love those who don't seem like they're our friends and pray for people who hurt us. And at the same time, we have to be honest because we've already had these experiences and we may have more of them. The holidays are coming. Thanksgiving's coming. Christmas is coming. Maybe COVID affects your plans, but maybe you'll be around people who act like shlemiels. And if you share something valuable with them, they just trample on it and they turn around and hurt you. Jesus says, don't do that. Set better boundaries than that. So we choose the place of power and loving and, and peacemaking. And at the same time, we're people who know how to set appropriate boundaries and not let ourselves be hurt by people who are closed to that. We want to make our country better. We love America so much that we want to help to continually to improve it, to form a more perfect union. We're a nation of immigrants. We're a nation uh, that values equality in our Declaration of Independence. We, uh, we say that we hold these truths to be self-evident that all people are created equal. And they have rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those are uniquely American ideals. And we want to always strive toward those ideals. And so maybe these things from the Sermon on the Mount for followers of Jesus are helpful as we ask how we can relate to people who see the world so differently and vote so differently from the way we do. I want to close with uh, something that happened to me this week that for me illustrated the greatness of America, that reminded me of why this country is great. I have a day job, and part of my day job is talking to people from all over the country, and sometimes uh, they don't speak English. And so when that happens, I, I get an interpreter on the line, and, and we, uh, we have a conversation, and we come to a solution. And, and uh, this week, uh, I was talking to a couple who were first-generation immigrants to the United States. And they are Spanish speakers and um, got the interpreter on the line, and we had a good conversation, but I found over time that with folks who are first generation to the United States, there are a lot of barriers to overcome. There's obviously the language barrier, 
And there can be trust issues at time, at times as we talk, not always, but sometimes there can be a little bit of suspicion. That is because people who are new to the country do tend to get taken advantage of more uh, because they're new. They're seen as targets at times by some people. And so I'm always aware of that as we talk on the phone and, and um, you have to trust that the interpreter is doing a good job. But I talked to this couple this past week and, and there was a little bit of suspicion at times and a, and a little bit of just having to re-clarify some things so they would understand that, you know, where I was coming from. And so we got to a good place and, and um, they're, they're nice people. And it turned out that I needed to talk to their, their daughter as well about this issue. And she was in her early 20s. And um, so I thanked them for their time through the interpreter and, and said, okay, can you, can you put your daughter on the line now? And they said, yes, you know, through the interpreter. And, and she came on the line. And then I said, hi, my name is Ryan. Are you? And I said her name. And then the interpreter said that to her in Spanish. And she just kind of giggled a little bit. And she said, yeah, that's me. And I said, oh, okay, you don't really need the interpreter, do you? And she said, nah, I'm good. And so I said, okay, interpreter, you can, you can drop off the line. We're good now. And then we had a conversation in perfect English and, and, and we, it was a smooth conversation. We came to a solution very quickly and it, it worked out great. And as I, even as I was talking to this family, especially after she came on and I, I could see the difference between a first generation person in the United States and the second generation, it reminded me of the greatness of this country. This couple that I was talking to at one point when their daughter was little, they, they decided that they wanted to bring her to a place where she could experience a better life. And they immigrated to the United States and, and they have had their struggles. There is the language barrier. There's the barrier of people trying to take advantage of them. Being in a new place, it's harder to make connections. It's harder to get ahead financially. You just have advantages after you've been in a place for a long time that you don't have when you're new. And they faced barriers and obstacles and, and I'm sure some hardship. I'm sure they could tell some stories. But their daughter will not have those same barriers. She's second generation. They brought her here to experience a better life. And she is going to have a better life than her parents, which is the dream of every parent that you can put your children in a place where they will do better than you. And they gave that gift to their daughter and they sacrificed and they've been through everything they've been through in order to give that gift to her. And, and she, she's doing great in life and she has a very bright future. And that story reminded me of the greatness of America. Then unless you're a Native American, we're all immigrants to this country. We came from somewhere else geographically. And right now, we come from somewhere else metaphorically, politically, in our views. We come from many different places. But this is a country that welcomes the immigrant, or as Matthew would put it, welcomes the stranger, welcomes people who are seeking a better life. And we're all trying to do that right now. Yes, we're coming from different places, but we're all coming to the same space, this country. And we're trying to, to work out what a better future would look like. And we're in a very difficult time right now. But we're in a place that is great. 
because it's a place that welcomes people from all over the world and people from all over the spectrum in our views. And it's understood that we're going to disagree, that, that there's going to be harm done at times. That has been, that's happened in the past. There's been horrible injustice committed in this country that we are just now beginning to reckon with. But this is a place, at least in our highest ideals, where we welcome each other to come from wherever we're coming from and meet together and try to create a better life. I want to close with this poem that, that you're familiar with. It's by Emma Lazarus. She wrote it in 1883. It's called The New Colossus, and it's engraved on a bronze plaque on the pedestal of the Statue of Liberty. Let's read that together. Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame, with conquering limbs astride from land to land, here at our sea-washed sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch, whose flame is the imprisoned lightning, and her name mother of exiles. From her beacon hand glows world-wide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor, that twin cities frame. Keep ancient lands, your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. We are a nation of immigrants. We're a nation that welcomes people from all over the world and people from all over the political spectrum. And we've come together here to make a better life. America is great. God bless America. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for these scriptures, all from the Sermon on the Mount, that instruct us on how we can relate to people who are so different from us and who vote so differently from us. In this divided time, we're asking ourselves, how do we find a way forward? How do we work together with people who are willing to work together? How do we overcome our divisions? How do we heal these wounds? Over the next few weeks and months, we don't know what we'll face. But we do have these words of Jesus as our guide. God, we, we want to be peacemakers. We want to be shalom makers and work for the wholeness and wellness of all people. We don't want to view other Americans as our enemies. But sometimes it's hard to see people who are hurting us as friends. Help us to love them even when we feel like they're our, our enemies and help us to pray for people who hurt us. And we can have the strength to love. And God, help us to, lead, to live wisely, even as we go into this holiday season with friends and family, to not cast our pearls before swine, so to speak, that, that we just make sure that when we share what's valuable to us, we're sharing it with somebody who values it like we do, and not somebody who's going to trample it and then attack us. We're worth more than that. You've created us with dignity. And so we want to work for the wholeness and wellness of everyone in this great nation 
of America. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen.